Good morning. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. There they gave, him, they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was the one at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii the money, and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used, used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, you all. I'm so excited to be with you today. My name, I'm grabbing water. I'm not just stealing from inside the pulpit. My name is Lisa Ho, and I'm an assistant director of international and off-campus programs at Ohio Wesleyan. For those of you who've known me for a while, that's a new title. Um, I had been associate chaplain there for the last 15 years and have just most recently moved this year into our international and off-campus programs office. And um, I'm excited to be at Old Stone. Uh, I've known Adam and Lindsay. I've known Adam for like 10 years, and I've known Lindsay for the last few years at least. Um, And before that, I was really good friends and still are, still am good friends with Jim and Sarah. In fact, Sarah and I make little rendezvous to Chicago every once in a while. And uh, we love them dearly. And Jim had had me here years ago uh, to sort of guest preach. The preaching gig is something I get to do on the side or have done as associate chaplain. But I'm also on the teaching team at my church, which is Terranova Community Church. So I send love and fellowship from Terranova. Um, as Pastor Jason says, he's released me to come and be with you this morning. My immediate family is over at Terranova worshiping, but my parents are here, and I'm super excited to have them. My mom's birthday is today, so if everyone can wish her a happy birthday. We were just doing the math. She's exactly 30 years older than me, and so I was like, Mom, how old are you? And she told me, and I was like, oh, Shoot. Like, I was totally a year off. I thought I was completely a year younger than I am. Um, but the math does not lie. So we're, I'm excited to have them here today um, and see so many familiar and friendly faces. There's so many Awu connections here. Um, there's folks that I've known for years, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you for your warm welcome. Um, I also want to take a minute to acknowledge that I share the pulpit with Dr., the Reverend Dr. Valerie Bridgman who is a prolific and profound preacher. She's the preacher that teaches other preachers how to preach. And so I just want to remind you that I've been a campus minister for the past 15 years, so we're going to lower the bar just a little bit. But I'm excited to be here, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity um, and the privilege uh, to share this pulpit and this space. I know Pastor Adam has been a faithful um, servant to this community, and I just acknowledge him and Lindsay's ministry here, and I pray for him as he is out doing his stuff, and I pray for this time that you would use these words to 
bless those who would hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to lower that just a little bit. So I love the series that Adam has created here for Lent. He's kind of titled it Reconciled Two. And I took a little while last week to listen to some of his sermons online. And I actually caught last week's sermon twice because I listened to it. And then I went to the community service at Vineyard and I got to hear it again. And if you didn't get to the Vineyard, you definitely missed the animated version of his sermon. It was is quite, I think the, the whole vibe in the vineyard space just riled him up. And so he said it was, it was a little different than what he had delivered in the morning. A couple significant points of his messages have stuck out to me. The first one is he preached on being reconciled to repent. And I thought about repentance and what that means. And I understand repentance as an inner change, a turning of oneself away from something, and towards something new, away from the ways of the world, and towards the kingdom of God. And then Adam really drilled in on the idea that we are reconciled to compassion. And not just compassion, but abundant compassion. The abundant compassion as exemplified by the father of the prodigal, by our own father, as we are prodigals. He basically said that compassion is doing the dirty work of putting manure on something you may never see fruit from. I love that visual. As, as spring has sprung and we're out in the, the gardens and weeding and pulling and starting new life, that compassion is putting manure on something that we may never see fruit from. Or as I heard it in my head, compassion isn't always about what happens to others when they receive from us, but what it does to us to give to them. So let me say that again. Compassion isn't always about what happens to others when they receive from us, but what happens to us when we give. And I couldn't imagine a better message to prepare us for the text for this week. There are layers of this story to unpack. We're going to look at this gospel that John told us. First, the Apostle John tells the story that Jesus is in Bethany at Lazarus's house. Now, if you read the other Gospels, there are different contexts for this story. But in John's Gospel, he's at Lazarus' house in Bethany. In John 11, he's just told us the story of, Je- of Jesus ra- raising Lazarus from the dead. So John 12 is post-resurrection Lazarus and pre-crucifixion Jesus. So just take a minute to think about where we enter the story. This is post-resurrection Lazarus and pre-crucifixion Jesus. And Mary is at his feet. Is that not a familiar scene? Have we not seen Mary at Jesus' feet before? Remember a few chapters earlier, Mary is scorned by Martha for being at Jesus' feet. But now it's Judas who jumps to judgment about wasting this valuable perfume. And lest we interpret this objection as noble, John reminds us what what they did not know at the time, but he later learned that Judas was abusing his role as treasurer to embezzle money for himself. He was feigning compassion for the poor. As Adam so brilliantly defined for us last week, he's feigning compassion for the poor to mask his own sin. 
a Lutheran seminarian, Reverend Perez Alvarez, said it this way. John was calling out Judas to say, do not use the poor as a means to an end. He saw how Judas was co-opting the language of solidarity with the least of these and the last. Jesus calls Judas on his fake compassion as real condemnation and immediately turns attention away from Mary. A true act of compassion that Jesus also displayed in John chapter 8 when another woman was the object of condemnation, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus captures everyone's attention here and at the moment, and he offers a profound lesson. And that's really the, the compassion of Jesus is to take the attention off those who would be condemned and offer us a lesson. First, he points out that her anointing is a foreshadowing of of a burial, his burial. And it was probably not as shocking as we think for the disciples to hear this coming from Jesus. Opposition to his disruptive and inclusive message was already causing the powers that be to call for his arrest, if not even his death. But to illustrate that point in a more intimate way, Mary anoints him with oil. And Jesus is using this moment to visualize what is to come. And that would have left an impression. So what do the poor have to do with it? Why does Jesus then turn to the poor? Well, Jesus is addressing Judas's objection and calling out his bluff. But what does Jesus mean here when he says, the poor will always be with you? Does it mean that we should just resign to the reality of poverty? And forget serving the practical needs of the poor and just focus on things that are spiritual? Does it mean that we aren't called to, that there, that there aren't systematic and unjust and unholy forces at play creating the poverty? Or if there are those systems that we should just forget trying to dismantle them? Lindsay, Lindsay knows me better than this. No, no, it does not mean that. It is a turn of phrase. It is an effort to turn the situation on its head which is something that Jesus is always doing. Allow me to share some more commentary, this time from Princeton theologian Lindsay Terrazzo. First of all, we can't separate Jesus from the poor. Jesus brought good news in tangible ways to the oppressed and to the vulnerable. The Christological truth of who Jesus is is bound up with the theological reality that he challenged oppressive political, and social systems. I know I just went all woo on you there for a second, so I'm going to re-say that again. The Christological truth of who Jesus was is bound up in the theological reality that he challenged oppressive political and social systems. Dad, I just went all liberal on you. I'm so sorry. Even with this particular and short-lived mission of Jesus, he recognized and respond, responded to the tangible needs around him. John chapter, eight, or John chapter 12 shows us that even the poor, the homeless, ragtag group of disciples kept a common purse and saved money to give to the poor. The other Gospels make a more explicit attention to Jesus' tangible needs like hunger and illness. Jesus' actions and words consistently challenged oppressive political systems of his day. Right after this story in John, in, chapter John, in John chapter 12, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a new kind of king. 
Although the empire promised peace and prosperity, it did so through systems that polarized the distribution of wealth, padding the pockets of the elite and leaving the majority impoverished. Does that sound familiar? I don't think much has changed. Jesus resisted these systems to the extent that he was executed as a rival to Caesar and as an enemy of the empire. To focus on Jesus is to focus on the poor. To work for the kind of kingdom that Jesus established is to challenge systems of oppression and to always side with the vulnerable. A second observation as to why Jesus mentions the poor and that this this phrase, the poor will always be with us, is that we might just be reading it wrong. Do you remember that funny little movie that came out years ago about the flight attendants? And I think it was um, Mike Myers was like training the flight attendants, and he talked about putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. But he said, to make the point, he was like, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So I think we might be putting the emphasis on the wrong words. So let's flip the emphasis around. The poor will always be with you. So maybe we should read Jesus' statement not as an indication of the way things are, but as a command to the way the way things should be. Have the poor with you always, or keep the poor among you always. And I know last week, I don't know if he said it in the morning service, but in the evening service, he made it a point to talk about our wealth as a county. We're the wealthiest county in the state of Ohio. One of the wealthiest counties in the country. And I think this has become even more um, real to me as my friends have tried to find affordable housing in this county. And it has just become near impossible. So when we think about what Jesus is saying about the poor being with us, are they? Are the poor with us? Shane Claiborne, who is a writer a Christian writer on social justice goes as far to say that when you enter the kingdom of God, when you enter heaven, you better have the marginalized and the poor and the outcast by your side. They're kind of your calling card to say that I have been faithful to the ministry of Jesus. It's a call to solidarity, a breaking down of the us and the them. Do we really know the poor? Are they with us? And are we with them? And so what do we do about this? What do we do about this calling to serve the poor that Jesus has, has cast here? Well, I think we turn towards Lent, and we think about what Lent is. Lent is a season to prepare us for this work of being with the poor. It's a season of sacrifice, right? For about 10 years, I sort of, I don't know what you guys have done for Lent. If you practice Lent, give up something, whatever. But for the last 10 years, I've sort of cycled through different things. So one year it's chocolate, and one year it's red meat, and then one year it's Diet Coke. Thanks, Mom, right? So I've cycled through these. And then a few years ago, I was sitting in the car on Ash Wednesday, of course, contemplating what I'm going to give up that year. And as I'm, like, praying about it, is it going to be, which, which year in the Rota is it? The Spirit said to me, why not all three? And I was sort of like, okay, Holy Spirit, if you're going to speak audibly to me, can you not, can you say something more profound than that? But it was clear that God had said, why not all three? And so I responded audibly in my car. But that would be hard. And the Spirit said, yeah, the cross, that was really hard. So I did all three that year. Um, so 
What is it really about, though? Is Lent really about giving up chocolate and Diet Coke and red meat? Is it solidarity in suffering? Is it about the cross? Is it about us leaning into that experience? Is it about being in solidarity with those who have not by denying ourselves the things that we want the most? Um, I kind of think it's not. Because I kind of look at the cross and I think, who am I kidding? Giving up chocolate or candy or red meat or Diet Coke have nothing on the suffering of the cross or the suffering of the poor. So if it's not about that, what is it about, really? So I'm just going to propose this. If Lent is not about suffering, I think it's about awakening our our senses. You know, when you deny yourself certain things, like sugar or salt, after you get through that initial withdrawal, when all you can think about is that thing that you are not having, you begin to notice all the other things that you were missing before. Fasting from one thing heightens our awareness about so many other things. When we give up processed sugar, it awakens us to the natural sweetness found in real food. We now see the apple or banana or raspberry as the sweet treat that nature offers us rather than something we should eat because it's healthy. Lent should also help us see our abundance and our privilege to give up things that we readily have at our disposal. Think about that. Lent is a privilege to give something up. Lenten sacrifice and fasting opens our eyes to see the unseen. Sometimes that means seeing the world as we corrupted it in our own sin. The broken and unjust world. The perfect kingdom that God created in Eden that we impoverished in our own selfish need, selfish need to be God. And in turn, we perpetuate poverty in our world today. But it also means seeing the world as God sees it. The kingdom of God restored in all of his glory. One where we are reconciled to each other and to God. And we are reconciled, wait for it, to see. We are reconciled to see ourselves and the world and everyone in it as God sees us. As God sees the poor and the marginalized and the unseen. So if you need to be seen this Lent, be reminded that God has moved heaven and earth to see you. The passion was about reconciling us to the Father through Jesus. It is a massive gesture of love. For Pride and Prejudice fans, go with me on this. This is not the Colin Firth one. This is the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. This is the Mr. Darcy coming through the misty meadow to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth, did I say her name right? Pride and Prejudice people, yes. So this is that kind of gesture of love. That is the passion. It is the message of the greatest sacrificial love, to completely give oneself up for another. So before we rush into Palm Sunday next week and Passion Week the week after, let us sit with Mary at Jesus' feet in this narrative during the final week of Lent. Let us, before we break fast together at Easter, 
Let us join her at Jesus' feet and contemplate our own perfume poured out onto Jesus. And may it be the fragrance that heightens our senses and reconciles us to see what Jesus sees. Amen.